series as evidenced by the video there. And in case you didn't catch it, I'm going to say it two weeks in a row. The save doesn't fit on the screen for a reason. You get that, right? It was a, Jenny was like, I'm so glad you saw that. You know, like I got it. It was, she, I thought she made a rookie mistake at first, but it's too big to fit on the screen. That's part of the, <laughs> so she did a great job of that. I appreciate the slant that she took with that. Last week we started talking about this word saved, and it can, again, mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. When we think of saved in a secular sense, most of us are picturing one uh, moment or point in time when we were in dire difficulty or tragically in trouble and all of a sudden there was this point where we thought all was lost and something or someone or some circumstance intervened and we were saved. Everything was fine from that point forward. But when you use the term in, the, in relationship to the relationship we have with Jesus, it's not that way. It is not a one-time decision. It's not that we accept Jesus and then our lives go on as if we never had. It's a, a following Jesus kind of situation. And so we may accept Jesus in the beginning, but we need to start asking the question instead of, are you saved or have you accepted Jesus, to do you follow Jesus? Are you actively involved in following Jesus? And I want you to know that, that I'm planning to do something that I think will help you if you're not sure how to do that. I didn't get a sign-up sheet out there yet. I'm gonna. But next week um, on, on um, the 10th, next week's the 10th, right? Yes, next, this is the 3rd, that'd be the 10th. Next week on the 10th, when Chris starts her Old Testament class in our extra hour after church, in case you didn't see my newsletter, Chris is planning on doing that. Next week after service, Chris Mosier will be starting the Old Testament class upstairs. We're hoping to get some more classes as time goes on. We're starting small, and so if you want to be a part of that, you can stay after church. Um, I am also going to throw out that I will do a, a discipleship group. There's a specific methodology for discipleship that I've been kind of working on, studying. I got it from somebody else. Don't think I came up with it myself. There is nothing new under the sun, in case you haven't figured that out yet. Um, but I'm going to throw this out there. I am looking for a few people. It could be anywhere from three to seven or eight that would like to sit around a table and commit themselves to meet every week to study Scripture. Now, the studying won't actually happen in the thing. You're going to have homework. This is a homework kind of class. You will do your daily studies. You will highlight things when we come together as a class. Um, it will be an opportunity for, hopefully, me to help you learn how to feed yourself spiritually and learn how to dissect the Scripture and learn from the Scripture without always having to wait for a pastor to tell you what it means. How many of you would love to be able to dissect and understand the Scripture for yourself? Raise your hand. How many of you feel like you're pretty good at that already? Raise your hand. Be honest. Be honest, how many of you feel like you've had enough years in that you can't? I'm amazed how few people have their hands up right now. So apparently there is a need. But here's the problem and the reason for this series. We think that saved is a one-time thing, and it's not. Following Jesus is an everyday commitment, and that's hopefully where you'll be at by the end of this series. But I want to throw it out there. So next week, if you want to come or stay after church, we're going to have an informational session. This first time, there will be no strings attached. You can show up. I'm not even sure what room I'll be in. I'll announce it next week. But you can come and you can join me, and I will explain the process and how we're going to do it. We'll have some chit-chat together. I don't know if we'll even stay the whole hour. But I will help you understand maybe a little bit about more about what we're going to actually try to do and let you know what it's about. So if you want to come and be a part of that, feel free to come and just get some information. It, it, it is an opportunity for you to commit to a discipleship process that is deliberate and intentional. So I hope some of you will do that. Because the word saved isn't a one-time thing. 
in the, in the church. At least it shouldn't be. Today I want to talk about um, how obedience, once you become a follower of Jesus, is not an option. Obedience is not an option. Have any of you parents ever said that to your children? Obedience, not an option. How many of you, they still disobeyed, <laughs> right? I mean, it seems like they just do. But uh, obedience is not an option. Listen, sin is literally disobedience to the laws of God. When we decide to follow Jesus and accept him or get saved or whatever terminology you want to use, we are literally declaring to God, I want you to save me from my sin. I want you to forgive me of my sin and save me. How can God save us from something that we're going to continue to do every single day? If you're going to disobey God, then there's really no point in accepting him in the first place because disobedience is literally the definition of sin. Disobeying the laws of God is literally what sin is, and sin separates us from God. That's the whole problem with this world. Sin entered into the world and drove a wedge between God and his creation. And because of that, we have sickness, we have disease, we have orneriness. I'm convinced orneriness wasn't there in the beginning. We have all of these terrible things, the decay, the reason my car rusts today and is rusting right at this moment is because of sin's influence in the world. The entire creation, the Bible says, is groaning with the effects of sin, all because of disobedience. So don't think that following Jesus is, enough, is just praying a prayer and then living however you want. The basis of Christianity, the basis of following Jesus is it's a decision to follow Jesus, which means we obey him, we follow him, and we come beside him. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 discusses this topic. And so I just want to pick this text apart. We're just going to sit down in the text and kind of talk about what it says today. You guys seem to really enjoy it when I do that. So we're going to do that today. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16 says this. So you must live. Did you hear that? Must. That's an imperative. Not you can if you feel like it, right? You must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy, for the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Let's take a look at what this says. In the very first part, again, there's that must. I love that word. You must do this. That makes it an imperative. I shouldn't have to say any more than that. Obedience is not an option for the children of God. You must live as God's obedient children. I love the fact that the Bible uses the analogy of God that he is our father. And I love the fact that we're talked about as being his adopted children because in a real sense, he is our father. Is God not the father of all creation, the one who created everything that exists? God is our father. And you know what? Children naturally take on the characteristics and the character and sometimes the mannerisms and even the physical likeness of their parents, don't they? 
a lot of, a lot of children act like their parents. Um, this is a principle, not necessarily universal truth. There are some kids who come out and you go, who was the father really? Because he doesn't look or act anything like, right, uh, the person that's supposed to be his, his parents. They just kind of go. It's a principle. It's not necessarily universal truth, but it's a principle that I think can be seen in most family situations. Children reflect their parents. They are like their parents. Um, my family is a good example of that. I have two brothers, in case you didn't know that. I have an older brother who is three years older than me, and I have a younger brother who is seven years younger than me. And I'm here to tell you that there are times when I have been with my brothers, and people have looked at the three of us and said, you guys are not brothers. I have this, you know, hair that goes straight up or straight out and does nothing interesting. My brothers have tight, curly curls. My, my little brother grew an afro in college. So picture my face with an afro. Actually, don't do that. I would prefer you not do that. Literally, he was away at Florida at college. He grew and he came home for Christmas, stepped off the plane. We didn't recognize him from the hair. It was unbelievable. It was almost as good as Mark Arnett's afro used to be. I've heard he had one as well. You know, we've got pictures of that somewhere. I can dig those out if you want to see it. Um, but my little brother has, you know, they have strawberry blonde, tight curly hair. My older brother is, is, is got my dad's hairline. It's receding. Mine isn't. I got my mom's head of hair, I guess, because, you know, my hairline's not going quite as quickly as his. But even the way that we act, you know, my brothers and I, even though we came from the same family, from the same parents, have made decisions in our teenage and our adult lives that have led us to three completely different situations in life. Nothing alike, almost. And yet when I look at my brothers, I can see little glimpses of my parents in them. I can see the indecisiveness of my mother at times. I can see in, in my brothers, my dad's, you know, like laissez-faire attitude, you know, just whatever, you know. My dad worked hard. He went, he was a plumber, pipe fitter, came home and farmed. And by the time he made it to the shower in his chair to watch the Detroit Tigers, you weren't getting him out of that chair with a crane, all right? And he just, nothing really bothered him, nothing really troubled him. He just, his motto was live and let live. Can't we all just get along? And I think I inherited a little bit of that, but I can see in them glimpses of my parents. Now, sometimes there are things about my parents I did not ever want to be, right? One of the most annoying things about my dad was the way that he would answer all of my questions. Hey, dad, can I go over to a friend's house? No. <laughs> Why not? For a while. What does that mean for a while? Did anybody else's dad say that? It must have been a Pennsylvania thing, I think, because I would literally ask him any question. Can I do this? No. Why? For a while. Try arguing with that. How do you argue with that? For a while. Dad, what does that even mean? Nothing. He wouldn't give me anything. My dad had learned in his years of parenting the art of not giving your kids a foothold to argue with you. Because he would just say indiscriminate things that meant nothing. And we had no way to come back at him with, but dad, there is no but dad after, for a while. You just can't get, I don't know. And yet, in my adult life, my children now come to me and ask things. And you know what I love to say? No. Why? Mine isn't for a while. Mine is because I said so. What are you going to do, argue with that? No, you didn't. I just literally just did. 
said so. I, I did say so. I just literally just said so. No, because I said so. It's, it's a great one-liner. It comes. We, we sometimes become the parts of our parents we don't want to be. Can anybody identify with that? I have literally heard my voice on recordings. I sound like my mom. No, you don't understand. That, that's not a good thing for a man, all right? I don't want to sound like my mom. You know, I want, I want my dad's voice, you know, not my mom's voice. I don't want that. But it's just weird sometimes. But listen, parents do that. Parents pass on what they are to their kids. God created us that way. Genetically speaking, we inherit from our parents physical characteristics and, and, and attributes, but we also draw from them their mannerisms, their character, and all of that stuff. Listen, if God is our Heavenly Father, doesn't it follow to reason if we inherit from our earthly parents that we should, once we become his children, inherit from our heavenly father his character and his mannerisms and his passions and his loves and his whole life? Shouldn't we become like God if we are his children? He, he wants us to be his obedient children and when we learn to live the life of God before the people around us so that they can see God in us then they can look at us and see that we are his obedient children by the lives that we live but if we love God and we're working for the relationship that we have with him and putting in time and and trying to be in his word and pray and worship then we should be becoming more like him every single day now there are parts again about my heavenly father I'm not real anxious to be like this whole forgiveness thing I think that's you know forgiving your neighbor is highly overrated right how many of you love just to forgive everybody that does you wrong? It's just so easy for you. Just, oh, I forgive you. Yeah, you took my parking spot, but I forgive you. You ran me off the road, but I forgive you. Dennis, you picked on me at your backyard fellowship, but I forgive you. You know. There are parts of what God does for us that I'm not sure I want to turn around and reciprocate to other people because they're hard. I don't necessarily want to sacrifice for everybody. I mean, I'll sacrifice for my family and the people I like. But God sacrificed his life for all of us indiscriminately. If we're going to be God's children, we should be like God. Live as God's obedient children. It stands to reason that if God is our Father and he is, in fact, the Father of all creation then we should inherit from him his traits and his character. And when we do that, we will be living as his obedient children. The next phrase there says, don't slip back into your old ways. Like, the, I, I love the, the visual of that, don't slip back. Anybody ever trying to climb a, sh a steep, muddy hill and, and you just couldn't get your footing and you kept sliding back down? As a kid, that was one of the funnest things to do. Or a sand dune. How many of you tried to climb a sand dune and you just, you know, you get your feet going, the sand just goes out from it? That's kind of the imagery that I, I feel like he's trying to bring across here. The sinful nature can be like gravity pulling us back. And every time we try to rise to the occasion and become more like Jesus, there's that sinful nature that's born inside of us because of sin in this world that kind of pulls us back down and keeps us there. And, and, and we keep sliding backwards and we never can move forward. And it, it's kind of like we struggle with forward motion, you know. Um, there was a Reliant K song. I know most of you probably don't listen to Reliant K, but there was a Reliant K song called Forward Motion. And I, at one time I had Reliant K songs as the ringtones when all of my three older children would call me. Um, Caleb's was, um, oh man, I can't remember what Caleb's was now. 
Uh, Kylie's was Mood Ring. If you don't know the song, it's about making all the girls wear mood rings so we'll know what they're thinking. Amen, men. Amen, husbands. You want to get your wife a mood ring? Anyway, that was Kylie's ringtone. Josh, Josh's was forward motion. I struggle with forward motion. I struggle. We all struggle with forward motion. It, it's true. The more we try to be like Christ, the more the sinful nature tries to pull us back. And what the writer is saying is we shouldn't slide backwards. We shouldn't go back to the old way of living. And some of you have done that. Some of you have experienced that backward slide to your old life because you've done your best to go forward with Christ and to become a disciple and to read the word and to get into the the ministries that he wants you to be in. But then you felt that pull of the world pulling you back and the, the fleshly desires that are there pulling you back. And some of you may never have felt that pull because you've never taken a step forward yet. Now, I'm not saying that to be mean or cruel, but the fact of the matter is the way the church has talked about Christianity for so many years, we make it sound like you get saved once and that's all you got to do. It's part of our marketing campaign, if you will. Like we talked about last week, we've tried to make Christianity so easy that anybody can do it. And the fact of the matter is anybody can do it, but not because it's easy. It's because God helps us. When you follow Jesus, it's hard. There are challenges. There are struggles. You should struggle with forward motion because you're trying to step out of the the passions of your past and the old life, and you're trying to turn to a new way and live a new life. And so it should be a struggle. It should be difficult. But the rewards of going forward are far greater than the rewards of sliding back. And so if you've never taken steps forward, let me encourage you, you need to start doing that. Go forward, move forward. You may find the tension there, but you can overcome it through the power of Christ. He says, don't slip back into your old ways. If you're following Jesus, there should be a struggle, a challenge each day to pull yourself up and out of the old patterns of life. But keep struggling. You can live as God's obedient children and not those who live to satisfy their own desires. I love that terminology, to satisfy their own desires. I don't know about you, but I like, I like stuff. How many of you have more than one storage room in your house that's just filled with stuff? I know you do. You got four barns full of stuff. We were at Dennis's house last weekend. Oh, somebody's making someone raise their hand in the back. I'm, that's never a good sign for a marriage. So anyway, yeah, we love our stuff, don't we? You know, we desire things, and it's not just stuff, it's other things as well. We have passions that, that pull at our hearts, and you know what? A lot of that stuff comes from the flesh. We should not slide back. We must go forward. Um, He goes on to say this. You didn't know any better then, but now you know better. That's kind of what's implied there. Um, I don't know if you know this, but once you know information, you're responsible for it. Did you know that? Especially when it comes to your faith. There are some things, I I believe this is proved in Scripture, there are some things that are wrong, but, but if you don't know they're wrong, you really can't necessarily be held accountable for them because you didn't know they were wrong. And I think it's important for us to understand that once you know the truth, we are responsible for that truth. He says to them, now you know that you are, now that you, now you know the truth and therefore you are responsible to live that way. Once you know, then you're responsible for that knowledge. So if y'all didn't want to be responsible to be obedient to God, you shouldn't have come to church today. Because now you know. 
It is about obedience. It's not just about a one-time decision. It's about a lifetime lived with Him. Um, He talks about the fact that once those desires, um, once you recognize those things are wrong and you know they're wrong, and you go back and do them, you are more responsible for them than you were before. Um, And there are desires that pull at all of us. They come from the sinful nature. And once we identify them, we are responsible not to follow them. Listen, we all have unholy desires, not just the desires for stuff. We all have desires that pull at our hearts and things that we know we shouldn't do. And there's a trend flowing through our culture today that says if you feel like it's something you should do, if you feel pulled in that direction, if you have a desire for it, then that must mean that it's you and that you should have it and you should go after it, regardless of what it is, regardless of whether it's reality or not reality. You can create your own reality. That's the wor- what the world is trying to tell us. And I've got news for you. Not everything that you desire is good for you. Now, we have certain lines that we've drawn in our culture of things that it's okay for us to pursue and things that it's not okay for us to pursue. But listen, those lines are getting blurred because the more we as Christians accept those earthly and worldly desires, the more used to them we get. That's why when you turn on the TV these days or you watch movies, the movies are getting gorier and gorier. Gorier is not a word, by the way. I tried to find it in spell check. It's not there. We, we just, we have to see gory stuff today. Like you watch a war movie today. It's not just the implication of a gunshot wound. You have to see the bullet penetrate and blood splatters on the camera. It's just amazing what they do and the technology they have to do it, but it's disgusting. And in my view, at times, appalling. Now, I get the whole idea of realism, especially if it's a a true story about a battle and a war. There are times when maybe we need to try to show people how terrible war really is, but a lot of the shows that you watch have nothing to do with that. It's just that people have become so desensitized to that kind of thing, they have to make it gorier. What about more sexually explicit, good grief, the stuff that I see on my television in prime time wouldn't have been shown at two in the morning when I was a kid. And yet we embrace it, we accept it. We don't even bat an eye to see a naked body part on the television before us because, you know, Netflix has introduced us to it so much. And now people that make movies can't make a movie without that or we won't watch it. So they put one in the first episode to draw you in. And then, you know, they can go on and do the rest of the storyline the rest of the time. At least that's what I hear. Listen, it's horrible. That we, we become more and more desensitive, more and more violent. I'm amazed how many movies you watch today. They're supposed to be action movies, and all they are is one two-hour fight scene where somebody's getting their head kicked in the whole time. It's just amazing the things that we have become accustomed to, and our, our entertainment is getting darker and darker and darker because for some reason we have become desensitized to it, and we love to see the depravity of the human condition right there before our eyes. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would say that you had a granny or someone in your life that you knew was praying for you until the day that you got saved? An older person maybe that was in your life that prayed for you? One of those people that when you walked in the room with them, you're like, that person has a direct line to God, right? Because they could just go, God, and he'd go, what? That was my grandma Ekman. She prayed for all of us kids, and I would hear her praying. I think I've told you stories about her. I had to sleep in the same room with her when we would visit because I was the youngest, and I got to sleep in there. And every night she would wake me up with her prayers. I want you to, before you watch anything on TV from now on, I'm going to put this in your head so you have knowledge of it and you'll be responsible for it. (laughs) 
Before you watch another show on television or another movie, I want you to picture grandma, that, that person you just raised your hand about, sitting next to you. What would she say about what you're watching? Listen, we have become desensitized to it. We've become desensitized to it. We know what's wrong. We know better. But we've become so desensitized that we don't even see it anymore. And now that we know, we are responsible for it. And we need to live up to it. Now you know better, he says. Be holy as the God who chose you is holy. I love this, I love this term. Does anybody remember on the playground not being chosen? You remember that feeling? You know, when you're standing in that long line of kids for whatever sport's about to be played, and you're like, they're like marching through picks, and everybody's getting picked. Uh, you know, I didn't get picked last a lot because I went to a Christian school, and we, were, we didn't have that much talent, honestly. So, but I, I, here, here was my situation. I was three years uh, younger than my older brother, and I, I didn't get along with any of the kids my age. I, th- I was always hanging out with my older brother, so I like to do older things. And the kids my age were always off doing something weird, banging their heads against a wall or something. It didn't make any sense to me at all. So I was always trying to hang out with my older brother. And so when recess would come, we went to a Christian school. We all did recess at the same time. I would go with my brother to play whatever sport they were playing, basketball, kickball, football, whatever it might be. Um, and, and basically, I would go with the big kids. I always wanted to be with the big kids. And so I'm standing there, the smallest kid out there, and they're picking teams. And I can remember in the pit of my stomach, it starts to crawl up every time I think about it right here in my heart, that feeling of, oh, no, there's only three left. Oh, no, there's only two left. I'm the last one again. How many of you had that feeling right as I described that right there? Oh, man, it hurts. I don't like that. Um, I remember the first time that I was standing in that group of kids with those older kids there. And I remember the first time, and I'm sitting there dreading it. Oh, man, here we go again. I'm going to get picked last. And I remember one of the kids on the playground, one of our seniors, he actually picked me in the middle of the group. Like I had a lot of the people that were older than me. And I was like, yeah, you did, you know. <laughs> Inside, I'm going, woohoo! You know, whoa, what just happened? You know, and you know, on the outside, I'm like, that's cool, all right. So I walked over there, and I'm standing with these guys, and I'm like, so this is what it looks like to be looking at all the people left. Yeah, I like this, this is good, I like it. And so I'm standing there that day, and I remember thinking in my mind, I don't remember what we were, probably basketball, we were probably playing basketball. I, I remember thinking in my mind, all right, Jeff, he picked you. He chose you, don't screw it up, right? He took you ahead of all these other kids. You better play your rear end off, boy. You better make the most of this. Do not make him regret that he chose you. And all of a sudden, there was this sense of responsibility in my heart that, man, I had to put up or shut up, man. I was playing. And I'll tell you what, that day, I played as hard as I have ever played in my life. And I'm happy to announce I stayed in the middle of the pack for a few more years after that till I was the oldest kid and got to the top, right? Yeah. But that one moment in my life, suddenly I realized, man, I, somebody saw value in me. I better live up to the standard. I want you to know something. God chose you. God chose you. Don't look at me like that. He did. 
He chose every single one of you. Because see, God doesn't choose in order. He doesn't go from best to least. He just decided in one fell swoop, these are my people, I I choose them all. He chose you. Don't mess it up. (laughs) Now I say that facetiously because I believe with all my heart that, that God loves us no matter what, that there is very little that we can do, nothing actually that we could ever do to help him or to make him stop loving us. But what I'm saying is this, feel the weight of the responsibility of being chosen. Understand that the God of the universe, the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the creator and savior of all things, chose you just as he chose the people that Peter was writing to. Feel the weight of that responsibility and don't mess it up. Give your best to it. God will never regret choosing you. But live under the responsibility that you have been chosen by the God who created you and you should do everything in your power to live out the beautiful, obedient life that he's called you to live. Be his obedient children. And if you don't know what that will is, if you're not sure how to do that, if you're, if you're following Jesus and, and you're not so sure, wow, I can't even talk now, I'm, I'm getting so emotional. God chose you, if you're not sure what the next thing is that you need to do, then find his word and do whatever you can find in there to do that you know is a principle. God chose you. Be holy because the God who chose you is holy. There's one last thing that he says to them. He says, for the scriptures say, you must be holy as I am holy. This is a, an uh, instrument, you know, that most Christians use. If, if you're making an argument and you've made all the other arguments, one of the last things you always say is, because the Bible said it, right? Because the Bible says so, that's why you should do it. By the way, that argument does not work with unbelievers. Are you aware of that? Because they don't care what the Bible says. So stop browbeating people who don't know Jesus with the Bible and talk to them like human beings, right? But when you're in the church, the Bible said it, you better do it, amen? In fact, Peter, the writer of this, is actually quoting Leviticus 11.44. It's kind of a, a little bit of, he's not quoting it directly, but it's kind of a paraphrase, I guess, of it. And so he's essentially saying to these believers in Christ who only have the Old Testament as their scriptures, this is what it says in the Bible, that you should do this simply because the Bible says you should do it. If you're a follower of Jesus, then the Word of God is the authority of fo- for life and faith. Um, In the church of God, we always used to say in the olden days, the Bible is our rule of faith and Christ alone is Lord. In other words, in all matters that relate to faith, the Bible is our final word and final standard. That's what we believe. No man-made written statement, no creed, no anything should stand before the Bible in authority. And that's the way it is. If the Bible says it, we're supposed to do it. Um obedience isn't about just a list of rules and regulations that we follow. It's about finding out what God is saying to us and doing it. And one of the best ways you can find out what God is saying to you is to read in his word what he has already said to do. Now, Keep in mind that in the scripture, there are things that were meant for specific people at specific times. For instance, this Leviticus text, the the writer's actually writing about the things they're allowed to eat and not allowed to eat. They're talking about don't eat the scurrying animals that run across the ground. So all you squirrel hunters and chipmunk hunters, shame on you. I'm here to tell you that part not as important. The key here is this. 
he says, I've given you these, these statutes, I've given you these regulations, be holy by obeying what God has told you to do. If the Bible says it, we should be following it, and it should become a part of who we are. Obedience isn't about a list of, list of rules and regulations. It's about obeying, obeying the voice of God when you hear it. And you know what? If you can't hear it, keep listening. I'm having trouble hearing him right now. Tori and I are in the midst of a decision. Some of you saw our house is on the market. We're not moving out of town, don't worry. Or for those of you that were excited, shame on you. We're trying to decide what's the right way to go. And you know, sometimes it's not always clear. Is this just me or does anybody else have this issue? How many of you have ever prayed for a burning bush and then saw the news, all the wildfires, and said, not, not now, God, not now. Wouldn't be appropriate. Listen, we're, we're trying to make the best decision to go forward, and we're praying hard about what it is. And in some ways, it seems like a selfish decision, but in other ways, God won't let us put it down. And so we have these fleeces we throw out, and he answers one fleece and doesn't answer another. God is confusing, y'all. But that is the tension of relationship instead of the simplicity of religion. Because religion tells you, do this, don't do that. Relationship says, you and God are in this together. He's going to do his best to communicate to you, and you need to do your best to hear him. And as you learn how to hear him, and as you learn how to talk to him, a relationship is going to be built out of that, that union and that struggle and that tension and that trial and the cut and dry answers that we're all searching for don't build our faith. All they do is give us finality. When you hear the, the answer to a question, you stop thinking about it. But when you have to struggle with the question, you never stop growing into the question. Do you get what I'm saying? You see, religion is cut and dry, but relationship, obedience, following Jesus is a process that takes your entire life. And you know what? If at the end of my life I'm better at following than I am now, I will consider that a success. Amen? but you should always be on the path of the struggle and the tension. So we're evaluating decisions. Listen, if you're having trouble hearing from God, this is my advice. Read his word regularly. Look for principles that are always true. And you've heard me say this before. Love your neighbor as yourself is never a bad thing to do, right? So if you're having trouble hearing from God, how do you best love your neighbor in that decision that you're trying to make? And do those principles that are in Scripture that you absolutely know are things God would want you to do. And as you obey Him in doing that, you will get better and better at hearing His voice as you obey what you already know. And as you learn more about what God wants for you in His Word, you'll begin to see the signs in everyday life that He's trying to direct you and lead you and guide you in the right direction. Listen, I wish I could say to you, Here's a talisman, rub it, and God will speak in your ear. Wouldn't that be awesome? But that's just not the way it works. But you know what? It's kind of the same in our earthly relationships, isn't it? If my wife, if all we ever did is say yes and no to each other, and that was it, we'd never really grow as a couple. It is in the struggles that we learn how to get along, that we learn how to communicate, that we learn how to love each other. And so it's the same with God. Friends, if you're having trouble hearing God, read his word, follow him, trust and obey. 
This old song in the church says, trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. How many of you have sung that song before? Probably a thousand times, right? You ever really looked at the words and what they say? There is no other way to be happy in Jesus. Trust and obey. And here's the funny part. Obedience leads to trust. And as you trust, it leads to obedience. It's a vicious cycle. And a wonderful cycle. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to sing that as our closing prayer today. I thought they were going to already come up, but since